Amen. Thank you for that. Reminded that the song reminds me of the book of Judges. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Isn't that what the Israelites did time and time and time again? They wandered away from God. And that's the theme of the book, and that's, hope it's not a surprise to you, that's the theme of the message tonight, because uh, that is the theme of nearly every chapter in uh, the book of Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 5 tonight. How many of you like Christmas, singing Christmas music in church? I do, but I didn't used to. Um, the, one of the churches I worked at, I was the song leader, uh, old school song leader, three, four, four, four time, all that stuff, you know? But um, for a while, we had a piano player that could only play what was written. And if you know something about some of these Christmas songs, a lot of them are high. And uh, I do not like singing high. <laughs> I, I, I like singing low, like singing bass. Uh, so there were, there were times where we, we had to sing the Christmas songs, and, but our pianist could only play what was written. And so there were times I wasn't singing. Not, not because I'd, it was just I'd get to a certain note and I'd drop out and I'd pick it up when I could. Um, and so I'm thankful, thankful we have a, a piano player that can play in whatever key he wants. And um, I know he likes to sing high, but I think sometimes. Anyway, Judges 5. Judges chapter 5. Steve did a great job uh, a few weeks ago, whenever that was, on Judges chapter 4. However, I was talking to him for a little bit after and I said, I said, you really put me in a strange position here. I said, you talked about how um, there's the literary and there's the literal uh, passage of Scripture. And, and you said, we're going to take this literal passage and give the literary explanation. And Andy, in a few weeks, he'll take the literary passage and he'll give you something practical. Uh, so that was the challenge you gave me. And that's where we're at. Judges chapter 5, it's a song uh, about what happened in Judges chapter 4. It's a, very much a retelling, not, not as expositional, but I don't know the tune to it. I'm not going to try and make up a tune to it. You can if you like. Um, after this weekend, I was trying to put Hail to the Victors to it as a Michigan fan, uh, but it didn't, didn't quite work. It just didn't, didn't flow. Um, but it tells of another season of oppression due to Israel's sin, followed by the raising up of a judge and a season of peace. As we've gone through the book of Judges, one thing that the book of Judges reminds me of, it reminds me of the cycles of sports. I know we have a lot of different sports teams represented here, different sports fan bases, but one thing that's definitely true, and, and I try to think about it, I can't think of a fan base that has not experienced seasons of on the top I can think of actually several fan bases that have never experienced that. Um, but for the most part, fan bases that have not experienced that season on the top and that season on the bottom. Season on the top, and, and sometimes it's many seasons, and sometimes it's a long, long time. If you know anything about me, I, am, I grew up in Michigan. I am an all-Detroit sports fan, Michigan sports fan. And there was a time when Detroit was actually nicknamed the City of Champions. You probably didn't know that. Uh, but it was. It was a long time ago. Uh, and it came from the 1935 to 1936 season. During that season, the Red Wings, the Lions, and the Tigers all won their championship that year. In that same year, an unknown boxer named Joe Lewis rose to fame. And in 1937, he became the heavyweight champion of the world from Detroit. If you know anything about Detroit sports now, you know that the ensuing 90 years to follow has been a lot of mediocrity and a lot of downright miserable teams. But there has been some, some great teams. But there's that, that cycles. That 1935 Tigers 
uh, didn't win a World Series again until 1968, didn't world, win a World Series again until 1984, didn't win a World Series again, still to be determined in my life, I've never seen my favorite team win the World Series. There's those cycles, there's those times, and uh, in my life, my sports judge's story would be the 2003 Detroit Tigers. If you know anything about that team, which you probably don't, but uh, they hold the record for the most losses for an American League team, 119 times they lost. It was miserable. But in that offseason, one of my favorite players on another team, one of my favorite players in baseball, signed with the Detroit Tigers. You've probably heard of him, Ivan Rodriguez. He's a Hall of Famer today. But he signed with them after that 119 loss season, after he had just won the World Series with the uh, Florida Marlins. But I remember him signing and saying he was confident this team was going to soon turn around. Interpretation, they gave me a lot of money. Um, but... <laughs> I think there was some, some genuine, he, 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 and, and it, it did. He was, if you will, hopefully this isn't uh, sacrilegious to say this, but he was our judge, so to speak. <laughs> he came in, and other players started to come. And three years later, we were in the World Series in 2006, from 119 losses to the World Series. And as you can, as I've already given away, they did not win that World Series. But it was an exciting time. It was uh, after many years of it just being miserable, to be a Detroit Tigers fan. I remember there was a, if you remember the movie Little Big League, a kid's movie back in the, the 90s, and I remember there's a scene in that movie where um, it's a, about a 12-year-old who becomes the owner of the, the Minnesota Twins, and I remember they lose to the Tigers, and, and one of his friends says, you lost to the Tigers? They stink. That was just, that was what the, the perception was, and that's how we felt as fans. And in the book of Judges, we find that same pattern, this vicious cycle of prosperity and success on the top, and then some very poor decisions that bring them to mediocrity and eventually bring them to a very miserable condition that lasts for quite a while. To recap Judges 4 in about five sentences, let's say this, Israel was oppressed by King Jabin of Canaan for 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess, led the Israelites and summoned Barak uh, to gather an army. Barak agreed, but only if Deborah went with him. They defeated Sisera, Jabin's commander, uh, in battle, and Sisera was killed by Jael. And then peace followed for 40 years. But look at Judges chapter 5 and verse 1. Then sang, so after this victory, then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day sang, and as I read through this, I'm reminded of, you. if you've watched any type of musical, you know how they're, they're talking about something, all of a sudden, everybody just bursts into song, and they're all on tune, they're all rhyming, and they're all sing, singing back and forth, and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, come a bunch of people dancing and flipping and, and all that stuff. That's what I picture here. Deborah and Barak just start, they start singing back and forth to each other, then all the soldiers coming back from war, spinning their shields, throwing up their swords, and they're excited. But that's the... They're, they're triumphant for sure. Their hearts are no doubt filled with gratitude and joy because of what God had done and how now they were prosperous once again. Where did this start? Go, go back to Judges 4, and we're just going to look at the last couple of verses in Judges 4. Verse number 23 says this, So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin and the, 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 the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So this is where we find they prospered and they prevailed, but it was because God 
subdued their enemies. Uh, fist pumping all the way home, they break out in song. It reminds me of, very similar to uh, Exodus chapter 15. The end of Exodus chapter 14, God had parted the Red Sea, and they're worried as, the, uh, as Pharaoh and his armies are bearing down on them, and they witness those, that Red Sea just collapse and destroy their enemies. And the very beginning of the next chapter, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang a song. And they began to sing praises to God. And then halfway through the chapter, we find Miriam and the women uh, with their timbrels, and they begin to sing as well. They're just excited about what God had done. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read the first several verses of this uh, chapter. The title of the message is A Triumphant Tune. A Triumphant Tune. Then we're going to look at and we're going to contrast uh, between Israel as a troubled people and a triumphant people. And then wrap it up with four statements of application uh, for us today. So verse number one, then saying, we, we already read it, but then saying Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou enter, wentest out of Seir, uh, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, and the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even at Sinai, from before the Lord God of Israel. Let's pray together, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. And Lord, we don't have to live defeated, despondent lives. Uh, but Lord, just like the children of Israel throughout the book of Judges, and Lord, just throughout their history, uh, Lord, we too find ourselves living defeated lives, our tails between our legs, and uh, just not living the victorious life that you intend for us to. I pray we learn something from your word. I pray your name would be lifted up. I pray you draw us closer to you. For to your name we pray. Amen. Uh, the song starts with a stanza that attributes the victory to God. Notice anything of significance, they don't attribute to themselves. It, it's God that subdued. It was God that avenged. It was God that made the earth to tremble, the heavens drop, and the, the mountains melt. But then after verse 5, the song really takes us back to the condition of the land before the victory. Uh, and so we find, first of all, we find a troubled people. A troubled people. Uh, back to sports, there are, there's times when early on in a season that you just get this sick feeling of this is going to be one of those years where we end up saying maybe next year, right? We've all, we, we've, we've all said that. Uh, right now, uh, the Detroit Pistons are that. I don't follow the NBA that closely, um, but I, I, I had seen they, they started out 2-1, which is like, oh, nice. This, this, this could be a good year. And uh, I just double-checked. We're now 2 and 18. We lost 17 in a row. Quarter of the season done, and it's already maybe next year. Maybe next year we'll, 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 win, the, the, we'll win the lottery instead of the Cavaliers or the Spurs. And, or, or maybe next year we'll not draft Darko Milicic, and, um, if you know the, the history of that and all that went on. But we, we, we won, actually, the next year. So. But if you walk through Israel before this victory, there would have been some signs of a troubled people, a defeated people, an oppressed people. So uh, I want you to notice the signs of trouble. Look at verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied. The travelers walked through byways. There was this, there was this sense of dismay. 
uh, among the people. They were unable to travel the main roads. Travelers had to sneak around and, to, to avoid attacks and ambushes. In verse 7, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. There was a kind of a social disintegration uh, among them. Entire villages were abandoned and laid in waste because it, it just wasn't safe. Uh, they, they, they couldn't dwell there anymore. And the highways unoccupied and the villages ceasing to uh, have uh, um, people dwelling in them, it definitely would have signified a great economic distress. There, there, there was uh, much uh, distress on their economy uh, because of this oppression uh, from the Canaanites. In verse 8, they chose new gods, then was war in the gates, was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? It was a time of military deficiency. There was a war, but as a whole, they'd been disarmed by their enemy, and they were unable and unwilling to fight. They were a defeated people. And just think about this history. This is the people who, in their history, they saw the Red Sea part. They saw the Jericho walls, not these people specifically, but this was their history. They, they, they heard of the Jericho walls falling down at their forefathers' feet. Uh, they, they were dwelling in a land that God had given them in so many miraculous different ways. But these were simply signs of the trouble. The economic distress the social disintegration, uh, the military deficiency, the sense of dismay, those were just signs of trouble. You looked and said, these are some of the problems. This is a sign that there's trouble. It's like when someone has cancer or disease. There are some signs or some symptoms of, of pain and uh, there, there, there's some, some problems that are caused. And you want to fix those, but you also understand fixing those doesn't fix the real problem. We've got to get down deep and find what's causing the problems so that we can get victory over it, so that we can say we beat cancer. We overcame this disease because we got down to its source. So I want you then to notice the source of trouble. It's, it's in verse 8. It's very simple. They chose new gods. That was the source of their trouble. It was not the economic problems. It was not the social problems. It was not the military problems. It was not the sense of dismay that they had. It was the gods that they worshipped. They chose new gods, lesser gods, powerless gods. Uh, the source of their trouble was as simple as that. They forsook the true God and embraced false gods. And when you just think about it, it just, it's one of those things where you just scratch your head and say, where did they even come up with this? In their founding documents, is this very clear and simple statement, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Very clear. And yet they chose other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, God says this to his people, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Very simple choice. I'll take the blessing, please. You can leave the curse at the door. I, I, I have no interest in the curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you'll not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. It's very clear. God said, if you follow me, I'll bless you. If you forsake me, I've got a curse for you. And that's that cycle we see over and over. They forsook God. God allowed the invaders, the outsiders to, to come in and, and take them and to destroy them and to oppress them. And then they'd turn back to God. 
But as a whole, they, d- they decided for some reason they were tired of the true God. They were tired of the God that parted the Red Sea. They were tired of the God that gave them the very land they're living in, and they said, we need to choose some new gods, as if it's like picking out furniture in your living room. Just let's, just, let's just pick out some new gods. And that's what they did. But it's easy to look at the children of Israel and scratch our heads and say, how could they be so foolish and not look in the mirror and look at our own lives and recognize times that we have violated clear principles of Scripture, clear instruction uh, in Scripture, Uh, And time and time again, we struggle with our own foolish decisions when other people look at us and scratch their heads and say, what was he thinking? Uh, Perhaps the children of Israel would look at us and say, "Didn't didn't you read what we did? What were you thinking? But a universal truth throughout Scripture is this. God always blesses obedience, and God does not bless disobedience. When we obey, God blesses. And, and, and I'm not speaking of some prosperity, wealth, and health, that if you obey God, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, and everything's going to be good. That's not the, that, that's not the blessing he's speaking of. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, there's greater blessings than those things, though those things are blessings in and of themselves. But the blessing of God is not necessarily, well, if, if I'm poor, I must, I must, be, I must not be blessed. Or if, or, or if I, I'm sick, I must not uh, be blessed. Uh, because let me tell you, I'm kind of poor, and I was sick this week, um, but it's got me questioning, I guess. Um, <laughs> universal truth, a, another universal truth about God, he's patient and forgiving. Aren't you thankful that God is patient and, for, and, and forgiving? L- prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm reminded of the words, uh, though I forget him and wander away, still doth he love me whenever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. Aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of God in spite of your foolishness? Aren't you thankful for the forgiveness of God in spite of your rebellion towards God? So these were some clear signs uh, that Israel was a troubled people, but until they addressed the source of their trouble, those, the, the, those other troubles would never go away. They could cover them. They could mask them. They could mend them. They, 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 they could try to uh, uh, invest more in the economy. They could try to strengthen their military. But as long as they did not address the source, those things would all end up being problems again anyway. And as the song continues, we get some insight into, number two, we get some insight into a triumphant people. Uh, just as there's signs of a troubled team, back to sports a little bit, um, there's also signs when you're, when you're watching your team and you know there's something different this year. There's, there's, something, where there's, there's something going on. Um, and there's a saying in Detroit, I'm, I'm sure others say something very similar, uh, but we've, we say it a lot with the, with the Lions. Um, we, we'll, we'll say this phrase, same old Lions. And we say it when it seems that they're about to pull off an impressive win or a solid season, but then we brace ourselves for impact. We brace ourselves for the collapse, uh, to which we all just shake our heads and say, same old lions. But this year, I hope I'm not speaking too soon and jinxing it here from the pulpit, um, but this year, it seems that there's a couple of games where you're watching and you're waiting. This, This is it. This is where they blow it. This is where they collapse. But so far, 
there's been some rough times, but I'll just say this. The last time we started the way we have started this year, John F. Kennedy was still president of the United States. It's been a long time. So there's just this feeling among the fans now, there's something different about this team. They may not win the Super Bowl. I hope they do. But there's, there, there's something exciting. There's something different. They're, they're triumphant to a certain extent. And the song picks up with a very exciting refrain, starting verse 9. My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Speak, ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of the archers and the places of drawing water. There shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Uh, so we see a triumphant people, but I want you to notice the signs of triumph. There's some signs and symptoms, if you will, just like the signs of trouble. There were some signs of triumph. In verse 13, we find a sense of direction. Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. God used Deborah to lead and encourage his people to turn back to God and to fight off their oppressors. Look at verse 14 through 15. We find a definite unity among the people. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Machir, uh, came down governors, and out of Zebulun, uh, they, they that handle the pen of the writer. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak, and he was sent on foot into the valley. Uh, although the roads and the villages were abandoned, there were some people that rose up and unified together behind Deborah and Barak to fight these oppressors. From the common people among Ephraim and Machir, which was a family among Manasseh and Zebulon and Issachar, uh, verse 9, my heart was towards the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. She notes that uh, among the nation there were people that willingly stood up to fight. Notice the bravery on the part of some in verses 18 uh, through 19. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that uh, jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. The kings came and fought, and then the kings of Canaan and uh, Tanakh and by the waters of Megiddo, they took no gain of money. So we find this daring bravery. After years of oppression and years of cowardice, this troubled people showed signs of being a triumphant people once again. They banded together. There was some direction. Uh, there was some fight within them. But then I want you to notice the source of triumph. The source of triumph was not their bravery. It was not the direction. It was not Deborah. She was not the source, uh, though she was a, a, an instrument that God used. It was not them fighting. It was not their willingness. Notice back in verse 2. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. I already mentioned it in the beginning, but uh, when the people willingly offer themselves, Hear, O ye kings, O ye princes, I even will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise the Lord God of Israel. The source of their trouble was forsaking God. The source of their triumph was clinging back to God. And that's how we're going to be triumphant in our lives. It's when my worship is directed at God and God alone. It's when I lay aside my idols. It's when I lay aside my pride. It's when I follow God with my whole heart. It reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. 
Uh, we find ourselves, when we're in trouble, we find ourselves quick to blame God for forsaking us when it was us who have forsaken him. And if we'll simply draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. And, and, and even in this verse, we kind, kind of a key here to the triumphant life in a believer. A humble heart and willing hands. A humble heart to worship and willing hands to work. Uh, notice she says, praise the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. The people were not the key, but God used the people. And it was God that used those people who were willing. And then drop down to verse 31. I just, I love the way this chapter ends. We're skipping over a little bit, but of, of the really, really violent part. I'm making it, making it PG here. Um, I, uh, St- Steve talked about that. The really cool part, actually, the, um, of Jael nailing uh, Sisera in the head with a, a um, with, 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 with the tent peg and all that. Very cool. Uh, but in verse 31, we find just how this ends. We, we, we see this triumph. They're, they're, they're triumphing over their, their people. We, we, we see all this taking place, and we uh, see this, this woman with bravery as well to overcome the, the, the oppressor, and God uses her greatly. But in verse 31, so let all thine enemies perish, O Lord. It's as if he's saying, God, may you ultimately be victorious. But let him that love him be as the son when he goeth forth in his might. God, may you abundantly bless those that actively or sincerely love you. And the land had rest for 40 years. And so we find again a, 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 a period of peace, a period of prosperity. Unfortunately, we know we're going to turn the chapter and we're going to find, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The cycle begins again, unfortunately. The losing seasons begin again. But I want to wrap it up tonight with four timeless truths for today. The first one is this. Worship shapes identity. Worship shapes identity. In those days, a deep-rooted part of their identity was the gods that they served. And for someone to even be a part of the nation of Israel, they had to forsake, just look at the book of Ruth, forsake their gods and embrace the God of Israel. And so it is for us today, what we worship shapes our identity. Romans 12 speaks of this and how we make ourselves a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds as we worship God as a living sacrifice. Though this may not be the most theologically sound way to put this, but you are what you worship. You are what you worship. As we worship Christ, we become more like Christ. Uh, as we worship the world, we become more like the world. Uh, so your worship shapes your identity. Uh, number two is this. Each person has a role. Each person has a role. We all have a role to play in God's plan. We all have a role to fill in God's church. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member... Where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the, to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to more, be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow much uh, more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Uh, back to the sports illustration, not every player can be the quarterback. Not every player can catch the touchdown. But every player is important. 
in order for those things to happen. Every player uh, plays an important part in the victory. Uh, So my challenge to you today is find your role and just be faithful. Uh, Don't be like Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher. We skipped over it, but look at verse 15 through 17. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. It sounds really nice, but here's what it means. They considered helping, but they didn't. The thought, it's a thought that counts. Well, maybe with your Christmas presents, but really it's just a nice way of saying I didn't think about it. Um, but they didn't help. Why abodest thou in the sheepfolds? To hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. It's kind of mocking them, saying, you thought about coming, but you stayed back. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. Why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Uh, so uh, r- really saying, don't be like them. Be like the others that shepherded their lives. The others, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you need to do anything crazy and put your life in danger, but have some bravery and, or, and just simply saying, hey, here's my role. I'm going to do my part. Not everybody can be Deborah. Not everybody can be Barak. Not everybody can be Gideon. Not everybody can be the pastor. Not, not, not everybody can be fill in the blank, but everybody can be somebody, and whatever you are, just be it, and be faithful to your role that God has given you. Number three, God blesses the willing. Perhaps you've heard the saying before, God doesn't call the able, God enables the called. It's that same principle, with willing heart and uh, with humble heart and willing hands, God can do great things in your life. You don't have to conquer a nation. You don't need to be named in a book for generations to remember. Uh, maybe you just need to love your spouse. Maybe you just need to share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe you just need to raise your children to love God. Be faithful to your church family. Be an encouragement. See, those are just small things. Those are huge things. Because if each of us will do those things, there's no telling what God can do with this place. There's no telling what God can do with your family. Uh, there's some of the, those are some of the most underrated things that God can do with your life. And then last, all glory belongs to God. Jesus said it best, without me, ye can do nothing. So anything that I accomplish, anything that we accomplish, in the end goes back to what Deborah said in the beginning, praise ye the Lord. He gets the glory. Any good that we accomplish in this life is because of the good hand of our God upon us and the spirit of God within us. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. We don't need the glory. He lets us be a part of his amazing plan. So what's the condition, as we wrap it up tonight, what's the condition of your life today? Are you a troubled person? I don't mean like you're strange and, I mean, just like the example here. Are you a troubled person or are you a triumphant person today? Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. I'm not talking about do you face trouble because we all do. There's a difference between facing trouble and being troubled. We all face trouble. And Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I can overcome my trouble through Christ, but too often we allow our trouble to overcome us and we become troubled people. I want to triumph over troubles, not be triumphed by them. So perhaps tonight, there's an idol that you need to cast down. What is it? Think about it. Maybe there's a spirit of pride you need to repent of. 
perhaps a lack of devotion that you need to renew, an unwilling heart that you need to surrender, a person you need to forgive, a sin you need to confess. Do it tonight and let God do a triumphant work in you and through you. Heads bowed and eyes closed.